Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Oh, if you all would go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Uh, we're continuing our sermon series uh, throughout, uh, going through the book of Luke. Uh, this is an unexpected king. Uh, we're looking at Jesus' life uh, and, and his, his, uh, his kingship and how he comes into this world and how he came into this world as um, uh, an unexpected king, this, this baby coming into the world in ways that many people didn't, didn't expect. Um, the Jews were not looking for their Messiah to come in this specific way. When we look at the Savior of the universe or the, the Savior of humanity, the life that Jesus lived isn't it isn't really what you would think he would come as. And so when we look at Jesus' kingship, it's, it's unlike any other king that has ever ruled or will ever rule other than Jesus. And so we're calling this the unexpected king. And so this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And the title of this sermon is Lord of the Sabbath. The main idea is that Jesus has authority over the Sabbath. So I have this broken down into three divisions. This is violating the Sabbath with a question mark there. So violating the Sabbath. Um, Lord of the Sabbath, and then healing on the Sabbath. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll get into this text. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, and the truth that's in your word. Lord, I pray that as we open up the Bible and, and hear your, your words speaking to us, I pray you will help us to, to be impacted by these words. Lord, speak through me and, and, and touch the hearts of those listening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I'm going to go ahead and get started here in uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, On a Sabbath, he passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So Luke tells us right off the bat that this is on a Sabbath. So in the Old Testament, we see commanded, uh, we see a command to Sabbath in Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, the Sabbath day and declared it holy." See, notice that Moses, in this passage, Moses points to God's action in creation as the basis for this commandment. In Genesis 2, 2 and 3, after God made everything in six days, he rested on the seventh. God sets the example for us to follow. The Sabbath was created for our benefit so that we could rest in God. But this resting, it's, it's not laziness. But instead, it's an intentional time that we spend allowing God to restore us into what He created us to be. It's re-creation. And so with that mentality in mind, we're thinking of Sabbath as re-creation. I think we can get a different understanding of the word recreation. Furthermore, this rest usually does not look the same for different people. It depends on what you do for work and how you are restored. For example, yard work and gardening are physical work. But I've heard it said that every preacher needs a garden. This is because uh, so much of our work, uh, and even my job in the school, so much of it is spent indoors, 
working with my mind and thoughts or working with relationships with other people. So gardening gives me time to go outside and work with my hands and, and allows my mind to rest a little bit. It's less mentally intensive. So this can allow my mind time to hear from God. But if your job, if your job keeps you outside and working physically all the time, then maybe gardening might not be the right decision for your Sabbath. You, need, you, might need, you might need more physical rest to allow God to recreate you. See, in this passage, we see that Jesus is going through the grain field, and uh, him and his disciples are going through, and they're picking grain, and they're rubbing it in their hands. The reason they're rubbing it in their hands is to get the, the chaff off of it, the outer shell, so that they can eat it. And they, they were hungry, so they picked it and they ate it. And the Pharisees asked Jesus, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? See, the law did not specifically outlaw picking grain in, uh, in this way. Instead, Exodus 34 commands the Hebrews to rest on the seventh day even during plowing and harvesting times. The commandment says not to do any work, but it doesn't define what that work is. Therefore, over the centuries, the rabbis would go through and in trying to be helpful, they defined what work is because... If we leave something undefined, somebody's going to define it for us. Um, and so the rabbis had this, this whole list of activities that they had put together so that if you were to avoid those activities, then you would be sure not to work. If you followed their wisdom, you would be sure not to break the commandment. Um, you can think of it like this. Niagara Falls. Now, I've never been to the U.S. side of the falls, but on the, uh, the Canadian side, they have a viewing platform. And on that viewing platform, there's a guardrail so that to, to keep you from falling over into the falls. So technically, you could climb over the guardrail and not fall into the falls. Now, that wouldn't be very wise, though, and I'm pretty sure it's illegal to do that. But theoretically, you could climb over that guardrail and be on the other side without falling into the falls. That's, it's there to keep you from falling in. Again, not wise to do that. And so these rabbis, when they were building these lists, it was the same mentality. Right? There, it's this wisdom to keep you from breaking the law. Just breaking those, going against that wisdom doesn't necessarily mean you're breaking the law, but you're in danger of that. So just because you did something that was listed by these rabbis doesn't necessarily mean that you broke the law. These lists were supposed to help the Israelites. But the Pharisees, instead, they used them to make the Jews' lives harder. They began to hold these rules to a higher esteem than they did God's law. Picking heads of grain might have been on these rabbis' lists, but that does not mean that it was law. So the Pharisees accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. And since the Sabbath is based on God's character, Jesus would be going against God's character. Obviously, if Jesus goes against God's character, it would mean that he is not God. So this is, this is a pretty serious accusation against Jesus. So let's see how he responds. Picking up in verse 3, Jesus answered them, Haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests, priests to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them, this is Jesus told the Pharisees, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So instead of pointing out their error directly, Jesus uses a story from the Old Testament that shows an exception to the law. This story about David and his men comes from 1 Samuel 21, 1-6. See, King Saul was jealous of David, 
So he had put together a group of men, and Saul and this group of men chased David down, trying to kill him. And David had his group of men, and they were fleeing from Saul. And in their flee from Saul, in their flight, they found, uh, or they came across the, the tabernacle. And so they go up to the tabernacle, and the priest that's in there, and David says, look, we're hungry. We've been fleeing, or we're, we're on mission, is what he says. We're, we're on mission, and we're hungry. Give us something to eat. And the priest says, well, all I have to give you is the showbread or the bread of the presence. And this is, uh, if you remember when we were going through Hebrews, we talked about the structure of the temple and there was the sanctuary and there was the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. And that was where the, the presence of God was, was in that Holy of Holies. Right outside that, there was an offering table where every week the priests would bake a, a loaf of bread and set it out there. It was a weekly sacrifice and that was called the, the, the bread of the presence or the showbread. And because it was right there outside the Holy of Holies, the idea was that God's holiness transferred somewhat onto that bread. So only the priests were allowed to eat it. But the priest tells David, he says, well, look, if your guys are ceremonially clean, then they can eat it. And David said, yeah, well, no problem. We're all ceremonially clean. And so they eat that bread. And this is the, the example that Jesus is pointing to. Jesus uses this story to show that the purpose of the ceremonial laws were to benefit the people, not to hold them back. Meeting people's needs were more important than rituals, since the rituals were made to serve the people. So then Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says that he has authority over the Sabbath. He's not negating the Sabbath. He's not getting rid of it, but he is claiming authority over it. If David had authority to set aside some ritual for physical health, then Jesus' Jesus's authority extends beyond that of David's. But we, we need to really understand what Jesus is saying. The Sabbath is a practice that is commanded, instituted, and demonstrated by God. Jesus is claiming authority over the Sabbath. So he is claiming to have the authority of God. And we've already talked about this several times, so I'll be brief. If Jesus is claiming to have God's authority, then he's claiming to be God. And if he is not God and claiming to be God, then that's blasphemy. The Pharisees did not like this very much. And when we keep reading, we see that they held on to this complaint about Jesus and would try to catch him in with it again later. But before we get to that story, we want to talk real quick about this title that Jesus uses for himself, the Son of Man. Now, this is the second time that we've seen Jesus use this title for himself here in Luke. But this is the name that he uses more than any other to refer to himself, or the title that he refers to himself as more than any other. This title comes from Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has this, this horrible dream. Well, it starts off as a horrible dream, where these, these four nightmarish creatures rise up out of the sea, each one more terrifying than the last. And as you read through it, you get this, this picture. David does a really good job of, of painting this picture of these, these horrible beasts coming out of the sea. And, and eventually, God's throne appears, and uh, he kills the strongest beast, and he removes the power from the other three. And then Daniel says, and suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and power and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This, this character right here from Daniel's vision, this is the son of man that Jesus chooses to most closely identify with. 
To those around during that time, it was a clear claim to be the Messiah. So it is the Son of Man who is given dominion and glory and everlasting dominion. It's that Son of Man that Jesus is claiming to be. So now that we've got that covered, uh, let's go on to this next story where Jesus challenges the Pharisees' understanding of the Sabbath. Picking up in verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. So we see this man here comes and he has a a shriveled right hand. Since Jesus' healing ministry has already been going strong, this man probably came to hear Jesus' teaching with the hopes that he could be healed. But again, this story points back to the Old Testament. It's kind of an obscure Old Testament story from 1 Kings 13, where God sent a prophet to condemn the king and the evil pagan practices that they were, uh, they were sacrificing to idols. Um, so 1 Kings 13, picking up in verse 4, When the king heard the message that the man of God had cried out against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam, that's the king, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Arrest him! But the hand that he stretched out against him withered, and he could not pull it back to himself. The altar was ripped apart, and the ashes poured from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king responded to the man of God, Plead for the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me, so that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God pleaded for the favor of the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it became, uh, and became as it had been at first. Now, I wonder how many people in the synagogue that day with Jesus, they saw this man with the withered hand and they thought of this story. I know most of of us in our current culture now, that's such an obscure story that we read this story here in Luke and that one just kind of flies over our head. But we know that the Jews would have had a much stronger Old Testament understanding. So I wonder how many of them, when they saw this man with the withered hand, I wonder how many of them thought of that. I'd be willing to bet that at least the Pharisees, uh, at least the Pharisees would have uh, would have had this this in their mind. They would have been the ones who would have been the most knowledgeable of the Old Testament. So when they see this man coming up with the withered hand, they were probably at least in the back of their minds thinking of this story. Now Luke seems to suggest that they might have, since he tells us that the scribes and Pharisees were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, so they could find a charge against him. What I find most interesting here is that Luke says that the Pharisees were watching to see if Jesus would heal, not to see if he could heal. Jesus had already proved that he could heal. So they're not seeing if he would heal, or not, no, sorry, not seeing if he could heal, but seeing if he would heal. They're, they're, they, they see this evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, but they still fail to believe. Also, it's not anywhere near the first time that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. At least twice prior, we've read about this. Back in chapter 4, Jesus healed a man at the synagogue and then went to Peter's house and healed Peter's mother-in-law. Both of those happened on the same Sabbath. So I don't know if they're just now trying to charge Jesus because he's gaining in popularity, or maybe they they just found out about Jesus' healing, or maybe they're still a little bit offended back when Jesus claimed to have authority to forgive sins. But whatever the reason... These Pharisees are watching closely to try to find some reason that Jesus is guilty. So how does Jesus respond? It says, Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, 
Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he told them, stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. So Jesus comes out and asks what seems like a pretty simple question. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath uh, or to do evil, to save a life or destroy it? Seems like that should be a pretty simple question. Well, think about this. Yes, it was forbidden to do work on the Sabbath. But again, throughout Hebrew scripture, the word work was left open for interpretation. There are some definite regulations in the Old Testament, but I couldn't find any regulation against healing on the Sabbath. This prohibition against healing on the Sabbath, from what I can see, was not law. Rather, it was again based on those, uh, those rabbis' writings, the rabbinical, rabbinical teachings. It was not against God's law to heal on the Sabbath, only against the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. Again, remember the purpose of the law. Earlier I said the law was to benefit people. And yes, that we still see that as a need here, but that's not the main purpose of the law. The main purpose of the law was to reveal God's character. I'm going to say that again. The main purpose of the Old Testament law is to reveal God's character. So Jesus is asking whether it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. When he asks that, he's asking, is it okay to act like God on the Sabbath? Well, that seems like that should be common sense right there. But that's the question that he's asking. And when he asks this question, how did the Pharisees respond? Exactly. They had no response. They were silent. Right? They, they, they knew that they were wrong, so they were unwilling to answer. And since they did not answer, Jesus proceeds. Stretch out your hand. And he did, and the hand was restored. To be honest with you, for those of us who've been reading through here in Luke, been following Jesus, it, it, it's not much of a surprise. And for those of their, the, the, <laughs> those people who were sitting there in attendance, it probably wasn't much of a surprise for them, them either. They've watched Jesus heal people even on the Sabbath. So they probably weren't surprised about it. And with just a simple command, Jesus heals this man. Once again, the healing is not the main objective of Jesus' mission. Jesus came to save us from our sins. But the healing is the evidence that he has the authority to forgive sins. This does not minimize the fact that God does have the ability to, the ability to heal. That's why we pray for people with illnesses or, or ailments or broken bones or whatever it is. We pray for those healings because we know that God can do it. But the main objective of Jesus' ministry, and therefore possibly the main objective of our prayer life, should be the salvation of the lost. Jesus' mission was to save us from our sins, those sins that separated us from God and condemn us to eternal punishment. It was that guilt that Jesus came to pay in our place. When Jesus died on the cross, he was our substitution, taking all the punishment that we deserve. Through faith in him, we get something better than physical healing. We are adopted into God's family and welcomed into eternal life with him. But Jesus proved his authority to save by performing these healings and giving correct teaching of God's law. The Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue them. And here he was, the Son of Man, whose kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This should be cause for celebration and praise. But Luke tells us that 
they were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the first time in Luke's gospel that we see that the Pharisees were specifically starting to plot against Jesus. From this point forward, the Pharisees will persecute Jesus and try time and time again to catch him doing something wrong. They'll try to trick him into making some mistake. They're going to try to turn the crowds against him. But for now, they have no real accusation against him. And the crowds are impressed with Jesus. The crowds are on his side. So the Pharisees are left to simply plan and to scheme. So our application from this passage, what's our application? Well, our application always comes from our definition of a disciple and our three indicators of a disciple, the knowing, being, and doing. So our no application is to know that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Since Jesus is God, he has authority over all creation and, all, and over all of God's law. This morning, we saw how that's, that specifically applies to the Sabbath. But since God is unchanging and the Sabbath is based on God's act and his character, Jesus' authority doesn't change the Sabbath. Instead, Jesus uses this authority to give a correct understanding of the Sabbath. Jesus showed that the Sabbath should reflect God's good character and that it is necessary for the health of the believer. God, in his wisdom, commands us to rest in him. I'm going to say that again. God, in his wisdom, commands us to rest in him. Our B application is to be godly in obedience to commands. See, in this passage, the Pharisees use their interpretation of God's law and their understanding of obedience to God's law to shame, embarrass, and to persecute Jews. Instead, God's laws are meant to display His character. If your understanding and application of God's commands causes you to act in ways that are contrary to God's character, then you're, you're misunderstanding something. If you, I'm going to say that again. If your obedience or if your idea of obedience to God's commands leads you to act in ways that are against God's character, then there's something missing. You know, the, the, the dots aren't connected right. We are to obey God's commands, and in doing so, we are to glorify Him. When a Christian acts in God's character, those around us will often be drawn to God's goodness in our lives. Not always. Remember, the enemy has many fooled, and the Christian life is one of spiritual warfare. But a godly obedience to God's commands will make sharing the gospel much easier and more effective. And our due application is to rest in God. Take a cue from Chick-fil-A. They choose to close on Sundays because they're founded on Christian principles. From a secular business mindset, this seems like a really dumb idea. They'll only be open six days a week when they could be open seven days a week. That's one more day that they could be making money. But when we look at Chick-fil-A as a business, that seventh day is not hurting them at all. Matter of fact, it's probably helping them out because they're honoring God in that. They're being obedient to God's command and taking a day of rest. There, uh, there is an argument about which day should be the Sabbath day. And when you look throughout the Old Testament, it was clear that rest was the, that, that Sabbath rest was to be the seventh day, which would be our Saturday. But then in the New Testament, when we look in the New Testament era and in the early church, uh, we recognize that most communities of Christians moved their day of rest to Sundays because this was the day that Jesus rose from the tomb. And so in one sense, Every Sunday when we are here having church, we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday. That's why the church service in the New Testament era was moved to Sundays, because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. But that doesn't mean that Sundays have to be your Sabbath day. Your Sabbath rest needs to be a time where you can stop and spend time with God, allowing Him to work in your life and to recreate you from the inside. 
If that happens to be Sunday, good. If that happens to be Saturday, good. If that happens to be Thursday because of your work schedule, that's good too. We don't have to be legalistic about which day it is. Just make sure that you have a Sabbath day. It doesn't matter which day you use as your Sabbath as long as you're using it to rest in God. So our application points again is to know that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, be godly in obedience to his commands, and to rest in God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that's in your word. God, I ask that you will help us to take this, uh, the, the lessons here and apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray you will help us to all find that Sabbath in you, that time to allow you to work in our lives, to recreate us from the inside out so that we can better glorify you and reflect your glory back to you better. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.